All right, so just the, the context here. Uh, last week, we saw uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, respond to the resurrection of Lazarus. And this miracle of Jesus was so astounding that it sought to kind of upend all of the social order that, uh, that the Jewish leaders had established. And so they decided that it was time for Jesus to die, to protect their own power, to protect the nation, to protect the status quo, they would kill Jesus officially. And so Jesus has to flee, in a sense, to the northern outskirts of Israel, far from the powers in Jerusalem. Right. So that's where we find ourselves, but now there's a problem because it is the Passover in Jerusalem, and that Passover draws Jesus back because it is so important. And just a reminder, the Passover, this is the, the sacrifice of the lamb on behalf of the people. It's actually uh, very parallel to what Caiaphas prophesied last week, right? That one would die on behalf of the nation. That for the good of the nation, one must die. And now we're celebrating a, a festival where one sheep would die on, for the sake of the nation and so, uh, chapter 11, verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that you will not come to the festival at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let him know so that they might arrest him. All right. So, it is the Passover, and it is public knowledge that Jesus is set to be arrested before the Sanhedrin. And so the, the tone has shifted that Jesus is in public, clear danger. We're coming to the, the end of Jesus' ministry, the end of Jesus' life here. Before, it was kind of this obscure, we don't like Jesus. No, now Jesus is officially uh, an enemy of the state, in a sense. And the question now is, how will people respond now that Jesus is, is in this position? Now, some, some will move towards him, move towards the one who is the, the sacrificial lamb of God, and others will run from him as he loses his power, as he loses his authority, as he is in danger. And we're going to look at two people today. We're going to look at Mary of Bethany and Judas Iscariot. These two very different responses to Jesus. One who adores this one who is going to die for her, and another one who betrays him. What will we do with Jesus in his death? Who will we look like? Will we look like Judas? Will we look like Mary? What does it look like to respond to this? So let's read John 12, 1, verses 8 uh, through 8 and, uh, and look at our passage today. So, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was, the one, was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard 
and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was his ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we might uh, see Jesus in his infinite value, in his glory and his worth, as the great Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Father, we ask that we might delight in sacrifice and service and love towards Jesus, that we might understand the the power of the cross, and we might uh, rejoice in our great Savior. Father, would you help us to do that now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, who do we start with first? We start with Mary of Bethany. So this is six days before the Passover, and Jesus makes his way to the city of Bethany, which we saw last uh, a couple weeks ago was uh, about two miles from Jerusalem. So this is the final pit stop before Jesus goes into Jerusalem, the place of power, the place of rule for the Jerusalem leaders. Now, naturally, they host a dinner for their friend, and... We see everyone kind of in their normal positions. Martha is characteristically serving. Lazarus is eating alongside the other men. And where do we find Mary? We find Mary exactly where she typically is, at the feet of Jesus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So what is Mary doing here? She takes a pound, a litre, a 12 ounce, like Coke can size, of perfume. Uh, she snaps the top off it and pours all of it upon Jesus. All right, uh, so what was the normal practice? What was normal to do was to take like two drops and put it into a big basin of water. That's what you usually use. She's taking the whole thing. All right, think of the perfume if you have it. They're usually like this big. Like this is a ton. And she's pouring it all over Jesus, pure nard. All right, this is like, it's derived from a, a root of a plant that usually grows in the Himalayas. This is really far away. This is really exotic. This is really expensive. This is a big deal, and she is pouring it upon the feet of Jesus, and wiping his feet with her hair. All right, now, just so that you're clear here, there's another account that, looks, that sounds kind of similar to this, where a, a sinful woman comes and weeps over Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair, and anoints him with perfume. All right, that is not this story. All right, that story took place in the home of the Pharisees, and the point was, 
Jesus, why don't you know that this woman is a sinner? Right? This is a different account. It sounds very similar. It happens multiple times in the, in the life of Jesus. But in Matthew, Mark, and John, it is Mary at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. All right, so these are two different people, but some of the themes are kind of the same. So just so you're aware of that. All right, so what, what's going on in Jesus in Mary's mind that she would pour out all of this perfume upon the feet of Jesus? All right, first of all, she is serving her Lord. She is serving her Lord. In just one more chapter, Jesus is actually going to wash his disciples' feet as a picture of the fact that Jesus cleans us from our sin. He washes us clean. And what does he tell the disciples? You then are ought to do the same. Go and wash one another's feet. Go serve and love in my name. And it's as if Mary, she understood that calling before it was given. She longed to serve her Savior. She longed to serve her Lord out of devotion and thanks for what she, by faith, understands he's about to do. All right. And we see her humility, All right, wiping her feet with, his, with her hair. There's this picture of, of condescension and servitude and devotion and submission that she would kind of give herself in service to Jesus in this way. You know, we ask, why? What does it communicate? I think in some sense it's... Like, so she uniquely understands who Jesus is. She uniquely sees that he is the Savior and that she is going to be washed clean by his blood. And it's as if she's, she's longing to express that love and devotion more deeply than she possibly can. And so... She's reflecting this one who's going to give his, his body, his blood and his body to her in sacrifice. And how can she possibly condescend low enough? How can she give something equivalent to Jesus? At best, she can wipe his feet with her hair. And finally, there's the, the extreme cost of what she's doing. So Judas notices later, it says 300 in ARI. It says one year's wage worth of perfume. All right, so in our context, that would be like $75,000 poured out upon this guy's feet. It is excessive, it is abundant, it is lavish, it is expensive because she understood the cost of what Jesus was going to do. She was responding to the one who was going to sacrifice himself for her, who was giving everything to pay for her sins. She would be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, by God himself, that she would get all of life, his righteousness, his perfection, as a free gift what would she not give in return to recognize that gift, to love him, to show devotion and sacrifice to him? 
So as we think of this, uh, this is a woman who has great faith. And she's looking at the signs around her, and she sees her Savior. There's been a public decree that he's going to be killed. She has heard that he is the Lamb of God. She knows in the context that the Passover lambs are being chosen for sacrifice all around her. They are getting ready to remember the fact that, that the Lamb died to save them from the destroyer and from judgment. She's heard Jesus talk about lifting himself up like the snake in the desert, sacrificing himself for the people. She's heard him speak that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And she has put all these things together and she sees the sacrifice. She sees the Lamb of God. She sees what Jesus is about to do. And this is her response. All right. Now, how do we respond to this? What do we do with it? All right, first, does it encourage you? Does it encourage you to make much of Jesus? To think more, more seriously about, like, what does it look like to, to love and devote myself to this one? What is he worth? What is the value of my Savior? Does it convict you? Does it help you understand the cost of Jesus' death for sinners? Right, that's where it, it should be, this thing that kind of wakes us up. That we can be obsessed with ourselves and obsessed with the world. We can get lost in the here and now. We can fall asleep. And these are kind of smelling salts that wake us up and say, wait, like this, this, is, this is your Savior. This is the value of the one who, who is giving you all of life eternal. Wake up. Smell the roses. <laughs> Literally smell the fact that this is the value of your Savior. And we ask ourselves, what, is, what, what do you still hold on to and think is not worth giving to Jesus? What sacrifice seems too large? What could you give to Jesus, but it feels like too much? It's a burden. I think of the people we are called to love, and we think we, we cannot possibly love them, it's too much. Or maybe there is sin that you're called to give up, but it feels too important to you. Or suffering that he's calling you to endure, and you're saying, I don't, no, I don't want to. It's not worth it. All right, we need to smell. Smell the perfume here. It is worth it. He is worth all devotion. He is worth overabundant, lavish love and glory. And as a kind of a picture of that, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It pervades, pervades the scene. It is powerful. It is overwhelming. It is the fragrance of, of life for Mary. It is the fragrance of death for Christ. It's a fragrance of love and of sacrifice and devotion and humility. Thankfulness. 
And Mark speaks of this act as one that is, it is unforgettable. Mark 14, 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. As long as the gospel is proclaimed, Mary of Bethany and her anointing Jesus with this perfume has to go alongside it. This is an eternally valuable act. That a year's wage gained Mary a, a place alongside Jesus. A place in the Bible. Like a, that she forever becomes this testimony of devotion and love and sacrifice to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? Or is it infinitely worth it? And that's the reality of what we deal with in our lives. Like, some things we do in life can be eternally valuable. Because they are done to the glory of Christ in recognition and, and love and devotion of who He is. There is that category of, of things that we do here and now. The Bible speaks of of crowns and rewards that last in heaven that forever speak to the ways that we glorified God and they're not taken from us they are actually they're put on display for all of eternity because they testify to the beauty of Jesus they're priceless in a world that is full of decay and brokenness. Right. So we ask, like, what, what, are, what are the things that rise to that value? It's probably not many. And they're probably the most difficult things. But there is this category of things that, that so adorn and reflect the beauty of the gospel that they are like this. Unforgettable. But now let's look at the, the other side. Some people are not going to see that, namely Judas Iscariot. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 naira and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. All right, so Judas Iscariot, he sees a waste, he sees irresponsibility and a failure of the law to care for the poor. At least that's what he says he sees. And we know behind that, he's not really upset about the poor. He wants $75,000 put into the tithe bag so that he can take it. All right, so why does Judas respond this way and Mary respond the way she did? This is simply a matter of faith. Judas, Judas could not see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He did not see a savior. He didn't see someone of surpassing worth. He didn't see someone who was giving him eternal life. What did he see? He saw 
a would-be king that was about to get dethroned. And someone who was failing to save Israel. He saw someone that could maybe be, he could ride his coattails to get a bit of glory and money on the side, but he did not have a savior in Jesus Christ. And so, at best, what was he going to do? He was going to steal from Jesus' money purse. That makes sense. That's the reality of where his faith was at, and so he was doing what came natural to his faith and to his belief. All right, the natural question then becomes, do you ever feel like this? Do you see sacrifice and devotion and love to Jesus and you think, that seems like a waste? Or maybe time in prayer is time wasted. You could have gotten real stuff done. Or maybe you think that, uh, that songs sung to Jesus are a waste of breath and boring. Or maybe we think that money sacrificed to missions is a bad investment. Like, all right, what is that showing? It's showing our faith. And that's not the time where we just need to, okay, just brush that aside, or no, just do it anyway. This calls us to, to run back to Jesus and see his value. See the importance of Jesus. Bask in his glory and the, the riches of the grace that he has given you. Maybe it's time to cry out, like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. To, to bolster your faith by looking at truth, to go to people and ask for encouragement, to remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel and the riches to come. Maybe it's time to put your faith in Jesus and to recognize that, no, he is the Savior. He is the one dying for sin. He is my guarantee of eternal life. I need, I need to see the world differently in light of him. Now, there's a third option. So it doesn't have to just be like you are the throes of glory. Jesus is amazing, and maybe you just don't believe in him at all. There's other disciples in, in the other Gospels, and they see this, and they also get upset. Not because they're, they're evil and wicked and just want to steal all of the money from the bag. No, it's just because they just don't get it yet. And they see what Mary's doing, and they think, well, no, no, that's, kind of, that's just a waste. We're supposed to give to the poor. We're supposed to use our resources wisely. We're supposed to love people well. And this is just a, this is a poor, wasteful, foolish, frivolous thing that fails to use $75,000 well. All right. And I think that could be many of us. And so what does Jesus say to that person? Jesus says to them, leave her alone. She intended to keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. All right, just a, a note on the Greek 
There's a lot of different ways to interpret that little first phrase. I think this is the best way to do it. It's probably in your notes of your ESV, not the main text, but it's basically saying like, no, she saved this. She saved this to be used for the day of my burial, which is coming soon. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. This is a once-in-a-lifetime moment, and Mary is not in the throes of normal life. This is not normal everyday life where normal wisdom and normal proverbs and normal obedience apply. No, she's interacting with the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, a week before he is going to sacrifice himself for, the, for sinners. And he's going to leave this world. And he will never be able to be recognized like this ever again. And so it's not time to consider the poor. It was time to consider the Savior. And to encourage him in his sacrifice. Recognize this is the one who would be pleading before his father to let this cup pass him by. This is the one who was sweating blood from the suffering that was called, what he was called to, who would be called to the greatest injustice and horrors of, of all of history. And she was going to anoint her Savior and recognize him in all of his glory as best she could. Jesus had saved himself for, for such a time as this, and Mary had saved her perfume to be used for the most glorious thing she could imagine. All right, so what's the point? This act, it's supposed to highlight the most important event in human history. That this is the greatest thing that has ever happened. Jesus died for sinners. He died to save us from our sin. He died to give grace to people who do not deserve a thing. To lavish love upon us. And so, this is a weird passage because we can't apply it in the same way. You are never going to stand before Jesus right before he... he dies on the cross. You're never going to have an opportunity to bless him like this. Like that, that is finished, the cross is done. And so, for most of us, what are, we're in the time that is, the poor are still with us. That's your chance to love Jesus and sacrifice for him, is in the everyday, is in the normal. And so, part of the application is, like, if you now want to show your love for Jesus and your devotion to Jesus, you can serve the poor and the powerless and the broken and the sinners. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did for one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. That's the normal every day. That's the stuff that, that we, we can do for the sake of Jesus Christ. We, we cannot anoint his feet before his sacrifice. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. This passage tells us Jesus is preeminent. And the cross is, is preeminent. It's more important and comes before everything else. And so, yes, yes, go, go love people in the name of Jesus Christ. Go do good works. Go just follow the normal stuff of the Bible. But recognize, behind that, Jesus is most important. And you can spend a lifetime doing generally good things that God generally likes. But if you don't recognize the ultimate value of Jesus and the fact that the cross is worth more than any good work, that is worth more than anything you'll ever do for the poor, if you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, that is most important. Ultimately, that is all that matters. That you need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ, you need to be washed clean by the blood of Christ, you need to trust that the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient to take away your sins not trust in any good work, not trust in, in anything you can do. That's why when Mary does this, she is she's refocusing our lives back on the cross. That that is life. That is salvation. That is of ultimate value before anything else. The world and the and rises and falls with Jesus. Your life is either, either hidden in Christ or you have no life. You either see your salvation in the cross or you do not have salvation. Smell, smell the perfume pointing you to the only thing that is worth anything in this world ultimately. Because in it is salvation and eternal life. And let us then respond normally. Let us love our Savior. Let us do big things and small things, all things, for the one who died for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for sending our Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Father, we ask that we might be a cross-centered people, that we might delight in the sacrifice of Jesus, that we might live in it and believe that it is truly our salvation. Father, we ask that if we do any good work, it would not be for a possible salvation, but because we know we have found salvation in Christ, that he has already died and risen to life and we have resurrected with him. 
Father, would you shape our hearts? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit that we would more and more value our Savior? That we would not just say that he's worth anything, but actually actually sacrifice for him, actually give to him, actually lift him up in the way that we live. And Father, for those who don't yet know Christ in this way, and for all of us as we can say it but don't truly believe it, we ask you to give us faith. We ask that you would open our eyes to see the value of the eternal life that is given to us, that you would give us greater love for our Savior, that he would get more and more glory. In his name we pray.